Good morning, everyone. I'm sure you would have loved to see me today, uh, but we couldn't be together on Zoom or Google Meet. The reason being that I have a clash on this particular day. Okay, so next time I will be meeting with you guys and recording for the other class. Okay, right. But I also think it's quite helpful that I am able to make this audio for you, this podcast for you, because then that means that you can listen to it and go over it several times until you come to an understanding of this particular topic. And the dictator that we are studying together is Lenin, okay? And he became the leader of a communist government in Russia in 1917. Now, 1917 is a very odd period to begin studying history because there's so much rich history that has happened prior to 1917. You have the First World War, you have the Revolution of 1905, and we cannot understand why Lenin did the things that he did or why he ruled Russia the way that he did without understanding the background. And this is the reason why we have started the story right at the beginning where it all started and not somewhere in the middle. Right, so uh, we studied about the different eras which the Romanovs were making concerning how they were ruling and how the rest of the world was changing and moving towards progressive leadership progressive leadership which was inclusive of everyone's point of view progressive leadership that included a constituent assembly a parliament of sorts where people could voice out the things that they wanted for their country but you'll find that these romanovs were still living in their own era living in limbo and doing things as traditionally as they possibly could. Now, we mentioned in the last lesson how Tsar Nicholas was totally out of touch with the reality of the problems in Russia. He had appointed two very capable ministers who wanted to turn around the economy of Russia because this had been one of the major grievances of the workers, okay, in Russia, the fact that they were underpaid, the fact that they were earning, uh, you know, small wages and they lived in appalling conditions. So he wanted to do the right thing and he appointed uh, Sergio White as the Minister of Industry and Peter Stolypin as the Minister of Agriculture. And like we said, both these guys worked very hard to turn around the economy fast. I like uh, Peter Stolypin who said Russia would need about 20 years for a successful land reform program where land could, you know, end up in the hands of the right people who deserved it and those same people could produce enough for themselves. But these two guys were trying to do too much too fast, okay? Too much too fast. And what happened in the end was a serious backlash, okay? Uh, with industries growing fast and rapid urbanization 
people migrated from the rural areas and started moving into the busy city centers. They got there and they were not living the dream, I can tell you. They found they were living in slums, they were working long hours, they had no protective clothing, and people started to grumble against the government. So for today's lesson, we are talking about the various groups that then emerged in Russia that are going to give birth to an era of opposition, very strong opposition, which even Nicholas II will find hard to resist. The reason why these Romanovs have been surviving this long is that there wasn't a strong opposition, but uh, the period that we are now studying shows that some serious guys emerged. Right. There, there are two types of opposition groups that emerged in Russia. The first ones are what we call right-wing uh, groups, right? And the second ones are what we call the left-wing groups. Right-wing groups are simply looking for reform, okay? They want immediate change. They are looking at the system to say, you know, what's wrong with the Tsarist system? Maybe if the Orthodox Church didn't dictate and force people to join it, maybe if people were allowed to join other religions, maybe if the Tsar had a parliament, you know, they want a change within the existing system, okay? Those are what we call reformist groups. They don't want a total change, but they want a compromise in the system that already exists. And then you have what we call the revolutionary groups. The revolutionary groups wanted a total change of power, a total transfer of power from the monarchical system to a democratic system, to a system of, of parliament where members were actually elected. Okay. But it's not just black and white there. I think you need to keep up. I have actually posted uh, some notes for you on Google Classroom. And I really wish that as you listen to this podcast, that you would look at the information um, on your device or on your laptop. Now, there are two reformist groups, right, that existed during the time of Nicholas II, okay? And these reformist groups, like we said, they are right-wing. They want to maintain the system, but with some moderate changes. We have groups like the Octobrists, <sighs> Octobrists <sighs> from October. Okay, don't laugh, from October. And these guys, you know, were pushing for parliamentary reform within Russia. They believed that if the Tsar's powers could be regulated and limited by the presence of some kind of a constitution, then everybody would be happier. People would stop protesting. People would stop complaining. People would, you know, see a reduction in the repression. People would be allowed to even express what they think um, in the press. Right, this is what these Octobrists believed. But many people thought that these guys were delusional. They had very little support because truthfully, uh, Russia did not need the, uh, the presence of an autocratic ruler. The thing that was not working was autocracy, okay? And no amount of parliamentary reform 
could fix that unless the Tsar was willing to step down. Right, the second um, reformers were the people that we call the constitutional democrats. In short, the cadets, okay, the cadets. They are also right-wing, so it means they want to maintain the same system. They want to maintain the same system, but with some kind of uh, reform, okay? And they believed that, you know, if we could have some kind of constitutional assembly, some kind of elected members, you know, let's not just have a parliament which is appointed by the Tsar, no, but let's have a parliament which truly represents the will of the people through the sign of being voted into office by the ordinary people. Um, you know, many people did not um, follow the movement of the cadets. People thought these guys were daydreamers. It's not realistic. You know, with the population so large, how are we ever going to have fair elections? It's never been done before. They really got very little support, especially when they went to the uneducated peasants who just thought these guys were making a whole lot of noise about nothing, but truly did not understand the plight of workers or the plight of peasants. Then we go to the revolutionary groups. These ones, we said they were left-wing because left-wing means opposition. Opposition means moving in the opposite direction of the status quo. Revolutionary meaning they wanted a complete change. They don't want a compromise where the Tsar will continue ruling. They wanted a system overhaul in which the presence of the Tsar is removed and he is replaced by a functioning government that is elected by the people. So there were so many uh, revolutionary groups. One group is the one that we call the populists. And these guys um, emerged around the 1870s and they thought that um, their support base would be the peasants because the peasants were the majority at the time. So they thought if we reach out to the peasants, you know, the peasants will help us drive the revolution. They are the unhappiest people in Russia. Therefore, they want change. But they found that the peasants were not receptive to their ideas. Okay, so many populist educators um, were usually university students and they were high-sounding and knowledgeable, but really out of touch with the plight of peasants. So many populist groups resorted to terrorism, but they hardly made headway because they're still not tapping into the support base of the entire country. They're just sectional, but they need to reach out to the whole of Russia. Right, the next revolutionary group were the socialist revolutionaries. And these guys, interestingly, broke away from the populists, but they had a more sound, sound philosophy, okay? I think they were clearer as to what exactly they wanted to do, okay? They wanted to see an end uh, to Tsardom. There were some who were very 
uh, strong about that, who felt very strongly that the Tsar should be removed even by force. Whereas there are others who are saying, you know, let's take it slowly. Let's, you know, turn him into a ceremonial king, clip all his powers using a constitution such that the king is powerless. Whereas others were saying, you're crazy. We don't want a Tsar in the first place. Right. So these were the socialist uh, revolutionaries. And in the end, these guys were very divided about which stance they wanted to take. Right. The third revolutionary party, which is the most interesting, the one that we are most concerned with, is the one that we call the Social Democrats. I need you to stay with me here now, okay, and try to follow, okay. These social democrats uh, were left-wingers, okay, they were left-wingers because they wanted to remove the existing system and replace it with a new one, okay. And their philosophy was based on the writings of Karl Marx, okay, so they were Marxist, okay. Right, and what, what they believed about Karl Marx is that you know, if you look at world history from the time when human beings started to exist in the world, uh, Karl Marx had said, everything that you see, the wars, the raiding, everything that you see happening, the economies, it's all just a class struggle between the rich and the poor. Okay, he says that is the fundamental problem that you are seeing. That is the imbalance that you are seeing in the world. It is a class struggle between the rich and the poor. And he defined who the rich were. Karl Marx said the rich were those who owned the means of production. People like factory owners, landowners, you know, capitalists. These are the people that he said were also in positions of power, okay, and used their power to exploit the losers or poor people or the working class. The reason why Karl Marx believed the working class are in a cycle of poverty is because they are continuously indebted um, to the rich person, the factory owner, the landowner, they are burdened with taxes, which ultimately benefit the one who has the means of production. You know, they earn a tiny wage, which only gives them enough to eat and continuously go back to work. They are in a vicious cycle of poverty. So Karl Marx defined workers as losers. Okay. Right. And he says this class struggle would continue evolving through time uh, as the rich ruling classes are gaining more power and the losing uh, poor classes are gaining more knowledge and are becoming more empowered. He says eventually a very big revolution would happen and this revolution would result in the working class overthrowing the rich and the working class would then establish a dictatorship, right? They would establish a communist state which is being run by workers. Then everything will be fair and balanced because the workers would ensure that everyone was equal and everyone had access to the resources that were so much needed. I don't know if you agree with Karl Marx, 
I don't know if we'll ever have an equal society. I, I really don't know um, if workers on their own can govern themselves and can run um, these production places for a better world. But this is what he believed. Right, so these social democrats were intoxicated with the teachings of, of Karl Marx. Right, so there are two parties that then emerged within the Social Democratic Party. And these two, despite both of them being left-wing, were, were, you know, totally, totally different in what they believed. Right, there was uh, a party led by Lenin, okay, and this one was known as the Bolshevik Party. And these guys were saying, yes, we agree with Karl Marx, a revolution of the workers must take place, but the leaders of the revolution must be few, uh, and they must be very capable people. You know, the power must be concentrated in the hands of a small clique of highly educated and highly capable leaders who will drive the majority of the population that is a workforce, but not necessarily educated, okay? He didn't believe that the workforce should all be given positions of authority within government, okay? And he believed, you know, things should get worse for workers. Things should be so hard for workers to a point where they will challenge the existing system and bring about the revolution as soon as possible. The other uh, left-wing party, which was also a social democratic party, were the people that we call the Mensheviks, okay? Right, and these guys believed, yes, we need change, but we have to be reasonable. You know, we can't have a small group of people uh, leading the proletariat or the workers, because then it becomes a dictatorship, okay? There must be fair representation where all the low classes, all the losers, as it were, are properly represented. And they believed we must have dialogue. We must be able to say what we want, what we don't like, what our plans are, how we want the revolution to play out. The, the ordinary workers must be involved and not excluded. So the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks um, really were a sharp contrast of each other. And uh, at some point, the relations between them became really, really uh, hostile. Okay, so Lenin was leading the Bolsheviks and uh, the other group, the Mensheviks, were led by this gentleman, these Russian names. Hmm. Right. Um, Plekhanov. Plekhanov. Okay, Plekhanov. Right. So this was the situation in Russia. These are the kinds of opposition groups that are existing. They are all pushing for different things. Others are agreeing that we need change, but they're not agreeing about how the change should come about. Others are saying we are moderate. We want change within the Cyrus system, okay? So what then happened now is the revolution of 1901, 
five. And this revolution was not planned by any of these groups. It was actually led by a priest. Can you imagine? It was actually uh, instigated by an ordinary harmless priest. And this guy was saying enough is enough. The workers are so burdened in Russia. We have had enough. And what is interesting about this priest is that um, priests were supposed to be loyal to the government because the kings ruled by divine right. That means they were instated by the Orthodox Church, which means this priest was coming from the Orthodox Church, which means by challenging and questioning the Tsar, this priest was actually uh, speaking against his faith and sinning, but he was willing to risk that. And this guy marched with thousands of people, right? 150,000 factory workers says enough is enough. They march to the palace and they stand right there. We are carrying a petition. We want the king to address our issues. We are not going away. And guess what? The soldiers just fired into the crowd before the people could even say what they wanted. And in response to these killings all over Russia, there were protests all over. People started protesting. We're sick of this, the hunger, the taxes, the system of repression. People can't even say what they think. There were protests everywhere in Russia. On top of that, various workers' unions started emerging. You know, these opposition groups, this is our chance. Guys, let's organize, let's organize, right? Soldiers who had been fighting um, in the Russo-Japanese War of 1904, right? And they had been defeated out there in Japan and they were disgruntled and discouraged. They too started putting their tools down and saying, why should we kill our own Russian people? What kind of a king is this? What kind of a tsar is this who commands us to kill our own people, right? So there were risings everywhere and the tsar was really under threat of losing his seat as an autocratic leader. And very quickly, he sat down, uh, you know, and said, what do the people want? And his advisors told him that, you know, do something, show the people that you are sympathetic and understanding towards reform and change. So he then granted what we call the October Manifesto of 1900. Five, And he also passed what we call the fundamental laws, right? This is basically saying he granted a constitution and, and uh, you know, made laws that would include all these opposition parties within um, a, a, a government of sort, an inclusive government of sort. Okay. But what is very weird about uh, this parliament, this Duma, which was formed, is that um, he maintained veto powers over the Duma. That means at any one time, the Tsar remained very, very powerful. He could dissolve the parliament at any time. He could propose laws at any time. And he still had so uh, commandeer of the armed forces. Remember, the soldiers are what props up the dictator. So if 
if the armed forces were not taken away from him, then he still had the capacity to continue ruling as an autocratic leader. Right, so it's not perfect. It's not the kind of ideal parliament uh, that the revolutionaries wanted, but at least it was a step in the right direction. It showed that if these monarchs were put under pressure, they definitely would succumb. Right, but uh, these various parliaments, these dumas that were passed had so many problems because like we said, the members of these uh, political groups had so many different philosophies about how Russia ought to be governed. And in the end, the Bolsheviks will emerge and we need to understand why. Why did their ideology uh, reign supreme in 1917 over the Tsarist system, over even other opposition groups? For our next lesson, we're going to talk about the problems of the Dumas. And I want you to basically track the Bolsheviks and see how they are performing. There were four Dumas. Why? Why do we have four different uh, parliaments being formed and dissolved, being formed and dissolved? What is the problem? Does this justify a dictatorship uh, in Russia? The fact that Russia had never had a stable government up to this point. And in 1917, when the Bolsheviks take power, they see the need to consolidate that power by removing other opposition elements. All these are things that we need to immediately start seeing. Okay, right. So for our next lesson, we'll be talking very quickly about the four Dumas. And then in the lesson after that, we will talk about the impact of World War I on Russia and how it influenced the rise of the Bolsheviks under Lenin. Okay, right. I've also put up a discussion question for you. And I really wish that you could put your comment, uh, you know, read through the notes that I have supplied to you. It's a summary. And then have a look at the discussion question and then you can comment we can have our zoom lesson tomorrow okay i really hope that things are clear i really hope that you are following and i hope that this is very interesting to you as it is to me okay i'll see you soon then bye bye